Welcome to RCV Clips, short recordings and interviews designed to introduce listeners to helpful tools and brief explanations about ranked choice voting and how this voting method works. These clips are produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, a compilation of best practices and first-hand experiences from jurisdictions that have used ranked choice voting, also known as RCV. The website, www.rankedchoicevoting.org, and the overall project serve as resources for election administrators, voters, policymakers, candidates, and for anyone who wants to learn more about ranked choice voting. We are not advocacy-focused. Rather, we aim to provide resources that allow jurisdictions to implement RCV effectively and efficiently. The RCV Resource Center team is comprised of former election administrators who have conducted statewide, municipal, and district RCV elections. Welcome to the January 2019 episode of RCV Clips, and Happy New Year! I'm Chris Hughes, a member of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center team. Today, I'll be talking with Dave O'Brien, staff attorney at Fairvote and former senior legal counsel to the Senate of Palau, which is a small island nation in the Pacific. Dave has some great stories about that job in Palau, but unfortunately, we don't have time to cover them today. Instead, we'll be talking about the legislative process and RCV legislation specifically, something Dave is very familiar with, having reviewed RCV legislation introduced in more than a dozen states last term. Now, state legislatures are starting up their 2019-2020 sessions. Ranked choice voting bills have been introduced in 14 states so far this session, with more sure to be introduced soon. So it seemed like the perfect time to have Dave on to talk about how to effectively draft RCV legislation, pitfalls common in the drafting process, and the legislative process in general. Thanks for coming on today, Dave. Thanks for having me, Chris. Of course. Let's start by talking a bit about your role at Fairvote and the work you do on RCV legislation. Can you just walk our listeners through the work you do on RCV bills? Sure. So when it comes to bills, I generally do one of two things, either a an activist or a local legislator will reach out to us and express interest in introducing a piece of RCV legislation. In that case, um, generally what I'll do is just draft something from scratch. Um, I'll probably go back and see if something had been introduced in the past, but normally the idea is that I'm sort of building from the ground up. The other thing I would do is if there is already a piece of RCV legislation that's been introduced, in which case, um, it's really more of a question of reviewing it and making suggestions. Now, like in the instance of like a lot of state legislatures, they have their own legislative drafting services, in which case they'll already have a professional drafter uh, write the bill, but those people might not necessarily, you know, have a lot of understanding and policy background in ranked choice voting. So in that case, we're going through pre-written bills and making sure that the process they describe uh, would effectively create a ranked choice vote, ranked choice voting election. So it sort of sounds like there's two main tracks for bills. There's activists, which we're not going to talk much about today, but and legislators. The bills can come from a lot of different places when it comes to legislatures. Can you talk a bit more about what it's like when a bill uh, is drafted first in the legislature from your experience in Palau, any other experience you have with drafting bills, how those bills come together um, and fair votes place in that process? Sure. So in Palau, um, it was a pretty straightforward process. There was really only me and maybe one other person in the office drafting legislation at all. So it would be a senator comes up to me with an idea for a bill or they want a bill to do something specific. And then it's just a question of working with that legislator, seeing what it is that they want, uh, making sure I understand everything they're trying to do, and then trying to 
you know, draft something that sort of can make their vision into law. Here is a little different because um, we are we are an outside organization. Um, we are a 501c3 nonpartisan organization. Um, and we really offer expertise more than anything else. So we are often not official parts of the process. Um, a legislator might come to us to draft something, but a lot of time they come to us because we are experts in RCV. They might like the idea generally, but they don't necessarily know a lot, or they might not. Um, they might want to know more about the different things they can do with it. Like, what kind of RCV bill is it going to be? Mm -hmm. Do they want a bill that you know lets local governments adopt RCV, um, or do they want to have something more ambitious? Do they want you know all state elections to go to RCV? Um, so. Like Palau, part of our job is to sort of figure out, you know, what it is they want, but also it's a much more, it, we spend a lot more time sort of going back and forth to them and explaining the, it, you know, the specific issue to them, um, you know, taking them on a tour of the world through of RCV and uh, sort of figuring out what's feasible, uh, what their specific state will allow, because of course we have 50 plus jurisdictions in the United States, with all of them having their own sort of quirks and idiosyncrasies. Um, and uh, then finally sort of putting something together um, that uh, they think is sort of politically feasible or sort of what they wanna do. I mean, another difference is in Palau, I was only working in you know one government and while I will never be an expert on Palau and local politics, I sort of got a better understand, an understanding of how things work there. Here, if someone from you know Oklahoma or uh, Oregon comes to me, I'm not going to know all the like the little local specific issues or political pitfalls or things like that. That's really on the legislators, uh, their area of expertise. So we'll I have, we'll have to work with them or the local activists on the ground a lot more closely to figure out, you know, what people will be willing to accept there or what people are interested in, mm -hmm. or, you know, what'll just scare people. Right. Well, and this leads into my next question, which is related, but I think a little different. How uh, do you suggest to potential RCV drafters who might be listening to this podcast, what does go into a bill, what doesn't, what gets delegated to the Secretary of State or election administrators generally in the state? Sure. Uh, so for one thing, it's, it's important to have, to get a good idea of what you want this bill to do. Like I said, there's a lot of things, um, what we call the local options bill is pretty common and popular now, and that's largely making letting general law cities adopt RCV for local elections. Um, but, you know, there are people, there are a lot of people out there who love RCV and they want every election to be run like that. So it's, you know, so do you want this to be for governor? Do you want this to be for federal offices? Do you want this for state offices, president? How high up do you want to go? Um, once you've got that figured out, um, the next issue is, then the next thing that you need to take into consideration is what you can do. Um, if it's a local, if you want to do something on the local level, uh, what's the status of like home rule in that place? Um, if you, or, you know, is there anything in the constitution of the state that would, you know, complicate RCV or you just have to sort of build into the drafting? Um, and finally, and this is a little bit more, and this is also very, very jurisdiction, jurisdiction specific, like, how receptive are the people who will actually be working with it or doing the regulations going to be to RCV? So you mentioned like, what do you delegate to the Secretary of State for regs versus what do you put in the statute? Um, well, there's really two things you two big things you sort of take into account when you're doing that. First is 
like flexibility. How often is something going to need to be changed? If it's an issue that's probably going to need to be updated and tweaked and fixed regularly, then that should probably go into regs because while you know the regulatory process does have its own sort of specific procedures that need to be followed, it's much, generally much easier to change some change a regulation than it is to change a statute passed by a legislature. Um, so a perfect example of that is something like ballot design. Um, there are states out there that have in statute like how ballots must be laid out. Um, that is, uh, that's kind of tough because if say you change voting equipment that requires a different ballot layout, then you'll need to change, you know, you'll need to go through the entire legislative process and get the legislature on board with doing that. Or you have to get special software designed by the voting equipment vendor and it, then you spend a bunch of money to get that specialized software. Exactly, yeah. Um, so whereas if you just do it through regs, then the secretary of state can just go through the regulatory process and change whatever specific requirements they have there. So the second thing to take in, to take into consideration is, you know, who would be the agency that would be drafting these rules or regulations? Um, like, does it have a lot of resources? Or do they have a lot of trained staff attorneys who know a lot about elections that can, you know, draft regulations that will help that uh, that will sort of help you successfully create a good, some good RCV rules? Do you have a good relationship? with them so when the time comes for them to go through the rulemaking process you um you can make sure that they are sort of taking your concerns into account already um how yeah and how interested are they in rcv are they if they're very skeptical they might not be willing to uh you know really you know spend a lot of time on it or go out in the limb to draw some rules and also a lot of the things then that do get delegated can be some pretty serious policy considerations. So not to get too deep into the weeds, but when we're talking about like for multi-winner STV, like the time, the kinds of like vote transfer and counting methods, there are, you know, there's a whole, you know, menagerie of different things you can choose from. And while it might seem kind of arcane and dense, you know, depending on which method you go with could have an effect on how elections operate. And, you know, a lot, a lot of, um, election officials or a lot of, you know, uh, agencies aren't necessarily all that comfortable making these policy decisions on their own that, you know, that might be, they might think that's more appropriate, the province of the legislature, or they're not really comfortable doing that without a lot of guidance from the legislature. Mm -hmm. So even if you are delegating something, you might want to uh, be sure that you include some guidance for the uh, people drafting regs to use later on. Um, in Palau, when I was, when, you know, we came to uh, drafting something that would either be enforced or further regulations would be created by an agency, one of the really important things to consider is they all have their own uh, limitations and benefits. Some agencies had like, I knew some agencies had like really good people on certain areas and I, that I could trust them more, or I knew that some agency, other agencies were a little bit more uh, wary of doing things on their own if they didn't feel like they had a lot of guidance or support from the legislature. Uh, and that goes back to just sort of understanding the local political terrain and sometimes even the personalities of people involved. But uh, like everything else here, you really can't take a one size fits all approach. You really have to understand who you're working with. Well, and it's interesting the way you laid that out because we have a perfect example in Colorado, in the state of Colorado, where they adopted a local options law a decade ago that said Secretary of State must adopt regulations. Um, and then finally, 
last year, we had the chance to work with the Secretary of State's office there, Fair Vote Resource Center, and a bunch of other stakeholders to help them on their ranked choice voting regulations. And they were they were great partners because they did want to they wanted to understand the problem. They wanted to understand what they had to regulate around and. I think the rule that came out of it was much better for that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Colorado process was, you know, probably one of the, and I'll give a plug to the Colorado Secretary of State's office out there. <laughs> They've done some great work and their RCV regulations are probably the best in the country, if, if, yeah. if not up there for sure. Yeah. Um, there are going to be situations where it's probably better to delegate more to the Secretary of State's office for a few reasons. One, they'll probably have a trained staff of professional election attorneys who, you know, knows a lot about the state's local election laws and you know, drafting election regulations or whatever specific legal requirements need to be taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. State legislatures also often have, you know, really good professional staff too, but they tend to be, they'll probably be more generalized. You know, there might be a committee with one or two like people who specialize in election law, but they'll also have like lots of other non-RCV related stuff to consider. So depending mm -hmm. on, you know, the uh, size um, and resources available to the state agency who does the regs versus the state legislature, you might be better off with the agency um, really focusing on and drawing up the regulations or the specific laws. Yeah. Um, well, that gets to another question I had. Um, what are common challenges you see drafters facing or you run into when you're reviewing ranked choice voting bills when it comes to drafting them properly and making them fit into the, the state elections code? Yeah. So generally, most state elections codes are just a horrible, hideous mess. Um, they are, you know, they'll have they'll have uh, things going back decades, if not longer. Um, there will be all sorts of uh, there'll be all sorts of like, you know, things you'll see in there where you'll just wonder how we have elections at all in this country, honestly. Um, <laughs> Uh, and they're big, they're unwieldy um, because they're they're, it's rare that a state elections code is overhauled all at once. They, send, they tend to be like these patchwork piecemeal things that sort of get changed, you know, either at, you know, if an election goes really badly, they find this one issue thing they need to change and then move on. Or they, you know, or, you know, legislators will like get this one idea for reform like ranked choice voting, and they'll really want to push that, but they'll just sort of do that individually rather than as a larger reform package. But we'll say that lately we have been seeing some states do some more comprehensive overhauls of elections things. Um, New Mexico with their local elections act uh, just had a really big comprehensive overhaul of how they handle local elections. New York just passed a bunch of changes, but even New York's is really it isn't even a total comprehensive overhaul of that state's election code. It's a big reform, but yeah. it's, they aren't taking a scalpel to the entire election right. code to sort of make it just what it needs to be. Yeah. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, when you all elected officials get nervous when you start changing election laws, so there's often some resistance to doing that. And also, like, a lot of the nuts and bolts of elections, like, aren't sexy. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you get a lot of energy behind voting, you know, voting methods these days with a lot of energy behind things like, you know, maybe felon reenfranchisement, um, vote by mail, like, you know, these really good, you know, positive reforms. But when it comes to, like really mundane things about election administration, no one pays attention to any of them. So those issue areas kind of languish, even though a lot of it depends on them. One or two more questions uh, for policymakers who are listening in 
to the podcast or uh, considering trying to draft RCD legislation, what are some other tips or resources you suggest sure. they look up? Are there any last tips you have? Being a, Having been a uh, legislative drafter for a legislature, you have to be a jack of all trades because you're generally working on all sorts of different issues. Um, but like, like pretty much any other issue though, it's really important that you know, you understand the nuts and bolts of RCV. Um, and it's, uh, and the best way to do that is besides looking at some of the many helpful resources at, you know, the Fair Votes website or the Ranking Choice Voting Resources Center's website uh, is to talk to us, um, you know, reach, send us emails or give us a call our office where we'll be happy to talk to you and explain things or, um, and walk you through the process. Um, because if you don't, um, because again, if you don't really fully understand the nuances, it's easy to sort of get a superficial understanding of the issue, uh, while in in then creating a law or a bill that uh, might not work out so well in practice as it does on paper. Um, and then one of the things I commonly see that we should avoid is, and this is going to sound kind of counterintuitive because this is ranked choice voting. We talk about first choice, second choice, third choices all the time. Um, when you're, there is this tendency when people are drafting bills to talk about like what happens to the first round, first round candidates, and then they say, now for the second round, you look at the second round choices, and then you keep going on like that. It's almost like you're trying to sort of like write out every single step of what happens, like down to the specific number of rounds. Now. Obviously, you can't do that because there could be a lot of rounds going in, unless you want a really long bill. And also, that gets confusing because once you're in the second round, there still might be a lot of first choices in play. Once you get to the third round, there still might be second and first choices in play and and so on. So really, I would encourage people to think not in terms of first choice, second choice, third choice, but something like highest continuing candidate or highest ranked candidate, too. <laughs> um, from the voters' perspective, the numbers are important. But from the drafter's perspective and from the tabulation perspective, try to get away from that. Mm -hmm. One of the most frustrating, but also in sometimes reassuring parts of about drafting legislation is that it is unusual that the pro final product that you produce and put so much time and effort into is going to be passed, if it is going to be passed, in the form that you did it, because there are so many other people involved. Um, you know, there are there will be, um, it'll go to the committee, members of the committee will have their own ideas and you know, and agendas and things they wanna put in. There'll be changes and amendments in committee, it'll go to the floor. If you're in a unit, if you're in a bicameral legislature, the other house will be doing all sorts of stuff. Um, and you know, there'll be special interest groups giving their feedback the whole time. You know, lo the local election officials will have their thoughts, Secretary of State will have thoughts, other reform groups will have thoughts. Um, so just, as most legislative drafters know, you really just have to like, really buy into the serenity prayer and just at a certain point, learn to accept those things you cannot change. But, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier, to what I say about understanding it well, but also how you draft it. There is, there's a tendency often to, you know, want to be really precise about how you draft RCV and you will, uh, an RCV bill, and when you're going through the counting process and all that stuff and have this very intricate and elaborate description of, how you do things um, that might work, but the issue is people are going to be going in and out of that. Um, they'll be adding things, they'll be changing things, and so this finely honed clockwork of a bill that you've drafted will now have a bunch of other stuff in it and other things pulled out. So you need to draft something that can sort of that's basically easy to swap things in and out of, and that people who aren't as familiar with RCV can sort of understand fairly easily too. 
Um, ideally, uh, everyone will be consulting with each other, but that doesn't always happen. I mean, I know there have been plenty of times when I find out, you know, that, you know, on the final vote, there's been a floor, there's been a floor amendment added to something that's basically like screwed up a huge section of the bill. And what do we do now? Or, you know, just hope it gets vetoed or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Are you talking about ranked choice voting bills or was that in Palau? Well, that happened all the time in Palau. Yeah. <laughs> um, in ranked choice voting, it's probably less likely to happen just because uh, it seems like, and I'm generalizing here, it seems like most of the changes to the pro like to the meet itself happens in committee um, rather than just like, you know, last minute tweaks on the floor. Um, but in general, I'm a fan of sort of simpler, clearer language when drafting legislation. I think that's an, uh, especially true here when we have something that, you know, not a lot of people think about or understand very well. And even more people sort of automatically assume is complicated and don't spend a lot of pay a lot of attention to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I think I'll leave it there. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today, Dick. Thank you for having me. Now we'd like to introduce a new segment and a new member of the RCVRC team to our podcast, The Final Round, where we'll share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or just something you thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's my colleague Rosemary Blizzard with this month's Final Round. Did you know that William Ware, who is credited with developing instant runoff voting, the single winner form of ranked choice voting, was not a political scientist or even an elected official? Rather, he was an American architect and in 1865 founded the architecture department at MIT. He was inspired to create instant runoff voting in 1870 after reading about multi-winner RCV, also known as the single transferable vote. And that's the final round. Thank you for joining us today for our January RCV clip. This is a monthly segment produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Follow us on Twitter at RCV Resources, on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, and check out our website, rankedchoicevoting.org, for more RCV resources. You can find our show anywhere you get podcasts. Please take some time to subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast, too. Our theme music is Flutterbee by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Chris Hughes on behalf of Rosemary Blizzard and the rest of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.